As far as like developing the ideas, I think there's so many different ways you can tackle this. There's a deep tech idea, but sometimes you can just take something that, that currently exists and revisualize it for someone. Like if we're talking about something that's not deep tech, where the revisualization might make a huge difference towards having some something be low friction. This is the Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. We have an extraordinary two-part episode for you today. Our own Jess Liao, manager of the Solutions Engineering R&D team here at Facebook, interviewed a panel of three incredible guests. This panel had initially come together for a fireside chat about innovation. And just like the fireside chat, their insight and banter were too engaging to be contained. I'm Jordan Roger Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the show. This episode is titled Innovation and Entrepreneurship, Part 1. So innovation is as crucial as it is difficult to describe. And there are many different types of innovations that companies do in order to grow. Yet for a concept so broad and subjective, the pressure to innovate continues to grow. The purpose of this podcast is to contextualize innovation and entrepreneurship in a tangible way to feel the next stage of growth for a company. My name is Jess, and I'm a manager on the Solutions Engineering Applied Research and Development team here at Facebook, and I am so humbled and honored to moderate a talented pool of serial entrepreneurs and innovative leaders here at Facebook. Before we begin, I ask that each panelist give us a 30-second TLDR on your work history and your role at Facebook. Thank you for hosting us today, Jess. My name is Bruce Hazan. I've been at Facebook for about 10 years. I lead the business innovation organization within Facebook. And prior to joining Facebook, I launched a couple of ventures, some more successful than others. But the last uh, company I launched was in the consumer space around daily, similar to what other may remember of the days of 2010, 2011, the rush for daily deals and some of the companies that marked that space. And so after that, joined Facebook originally in our London offices and then just recently relocated over to the West Coast. And this is me passing the hot potato to Miku. Thanks, Bruce. And thanks, Jess. I'm uh, Miku Jha. I'm fairly new at Facebook. Uh, I think I'm on to my third month here, which is pretty exciting. I lead applied research and development and business messaging under Business Innovation Group. And prior to this, a pretty crazy history of founding and starting and running seven different startups. Some of them didn't do well. Some of them did okay. Some of them did well, but hopefully... From each and every one of them, I had fundamentally a different learning, which I can share. And very excited to be here with everyone. Seven startups. That's almost like obsessive entrepreneurship. Or foolish. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Miko. And thank you, Jess, for putting this together. So this is Tareen Ziai. You know, I started my career actually doing a lot of defense work on the East Coast for the U.S. Army and the U.S. Navy, working on a whole bunch of like advanced algorithms for perception, uh, see-through wall radars, perception underwater for nuclear submarines and things like that. I had my own company as well, uh, working with, with the NIH, where we did uh, spike sorting, and we tried to like reverse engineer how the brain of macaque monkeys actually process vision, which is really cool. The macaque monkeys are, they're more like us than we like to imagine. That's a different story. I entered into the autonomous uh, space, the autonomous vehicle space. I was working with Apple. I was also CTO of Voyage, and uh, also then joined Control Labs at some point after that got acquired by Facebook. Right now, I lead a small team in algorithm design for Centrifusion within Agios here in FRL. And I'm also an angel investor within the deep tech space over here in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. So We have Bruce. Whoa. He's an angel investor, right? We have two angels in this panel. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, you're I, not I, also an angel investor <laughs> in grading strawberries and such? <laughs> it's 
all sorts of ideas and great problems and stuff. How do you go about in identifying the problems that are worth solving? So I've been on the job for about 10 years now. Obviously, the, the scope of the job has evolved and changed. So the job that I started 10 years ago is very different from the job that I'm doing today. And the nature of the conversations I'm having with people and, and partners and clients is very different. But the best job, that I think the constant for me on the job, the best moments I've had the job, the best days I've had on the job have been the ones that I've spent talking to customers and developers and, and partners out there. Oftentimes these conversations like kick off with, hey, we want to build this. How can you help us achieve that? And sometimes the conversations are, are go down this route. But oftentimes what I have found is when you start asking these companies, these are like, huge companies, but in, in times are also small developers in, in their bedrooms or their garage. And you start asking them, why do you want to build this? That to me is that the substance that you get to and the best insights that I've been able to get exposure to over the past decade is people telling you about the ambitions they have for their business, what they're trying to achieve, how they want to grow and, um, and the impact that they want to have on the world. And when they start sharing that, you can start relating to what they're trying to achieve, like the impact that they want to have on the world and so on. And to me, I've always been more interested in hearing about like problems than ideas because at Facebook, we have very creative people that knows our teams are made up of very brilliant individual minds ever foresee a world where we can't solve a challenge or a problem. But getting to a point where we actually talk about problems that are going to be meaningful, not just to one or two or three clients around the world, hundreds of thousands of million entrepreneurs, small and medium businesses, large organizations, that's actually quite hard. And so to me, I think identifying problems worth solving often starts with talking to end clients or developers and, and hearing th their view of the world. And if we're able to reconcile the way they look at the world and we're you know, where we're at, I think that's where value is, is being created. I'm, that's been the constant in my job day in since the first day. And just up until a few weeks ago, talking to a small and medium business here in Los Angeles, selling mid-century furniture and hearing about how they're selling online. They have a huge factory and yet their biggest vector for sales today is, is selling online. And so fascinating to hear about these insights that at the surface may not seem like much but yet translate needs that many clients and, and organizations around the world have. And uh, it's really uh, amazing, Bruce, what you have shared, because what you have picked up intuitively, it took me three startups to get to that conclusion. <laughs> my, my in, Initially, when I was, I used to think of an idea, it was just one thing, how cool it is on my own coolness scale. And then I'll go ahead and build it. And if it's so awesome, why wouldn't they... Take it. After three, I realized I had to change my approach. Went back to, to do the, the business school, assuming that I learned something there. I didn't really uh, learn much. Uh, so then I <laughs> did another one. But in the process now, I have, I, to Bruce's point, I really understand how important it is to have that business centricity or customer centricity at the very early stage of what you're thinking and trying to do. And there's this uh, notion, maybe more so in the valley, that if I share this with business or partner or other entrepreneurs, they're going to steal my idea. Nobody wants to steal your idea. Everybody has their own idea. <laughs> Go build it. No one wants to do what you want to do because they are obsessed about something else. Uh, so that was a big misnomer on why I wouldn't vet and validate in my early phases. So I changed that. Overall, I think there are two aspects now which I hold it as a goal when I'm thinking of something. One is how big is the problem? Are we really impacting millions and billions of people or a certain aspect in a positive way? 
Because if it is big enough, then even if you deliver a small chunk, I think that's really, really... And second, is it feasible to solve? Can you come up with a radical solution, some kind of uh, projection that you can solve it? The best ideas are the ones where the problem is big enough, but at the same time, the technical feasibility lies somewhere between, yes, I can solve it, and it's a pure science fiction. So if you are somewhere on that gray scale, then I think those are truly the powerful ones, which I would, at least for me, I think that's how I would pick the problem spaces. You know, thanks Bruce and Miko for that. I think for me, how do you identify problems worth solving? Man, that's a huge question. So I do want to echo what Bruce said, which is obviously talk to your customer and figure out what is it that they want and what is it that they don't want, things like that. I think for me, really, there's also something that I might add to that, which is that sometimes a customer can actually lead you. Sometimes the customers don't even know what they want, or they think they know what they want via, for example, method A or method B or something like that. And I think that especially coming perhaps from like deep tech, it's the challenge there I see is for deep tech leaders to A, understand what a new technology might open up, right? Before customers even do, before clients even do, because they're not familiar with the technology. And then to attach that, to what customers are really after versus what they might say they're after. I think one example of that might be the example that we sometimes like, like what I'll talk about. Henry Ford, if you ask people, what is it that they want? They'd say that we want a faster horse. Okay, sure. They want to get places faster, but they might not care how do you do it. Matter of fact, it might be nice to do it without a horse. And hence that leads credence to something like a car, for example. Right? So things of that nature. I've always tried to try to make sure that I am able to strike that balance, whether it's through investing, whether it's through different startups, where you say, hey, you know what? There's this new kind of piece of technology. It's interesting. It does these weird things. And I also have these people who have these problems today and they want them solved, but they might not know how to solve it. And let me try to make that connection for them. And I think that's how I, that's how I try to get a beachhead within the space. And, and just actually building on this one, I've also found that oftentimes people talk about innovation in the sense of coming up with new ideas, and I'm sure we'll get to talk about it. But to me, I think oftentimes it's also taking existing ideas and doing a little bit of a patchwork together and you come up with something new. And I think the same can be said about problems. I don't want to put Miku on the spot here. Her previous startup was she had identified a problem on one specific industry. It turns out there was many other industries. And so there's also a beauty of taking a problem outside of its current context and reapplying it to, let's say, another industry, another time frame or anything like it. And all of a sudden you could be worth, you could be sitting on something that is actually much more meaningful than it was in its original form, yet it is exactly the same problem. And so I'm fascinated about, you know, I, to me, a lot of these things are always very cyclical. And so these new products and these new things that are being sold and you know promoted to us are just the reinvention of a problem that has long existed before it's just you know been reinterpreted many times over so i see some themes over here right like customer centricity especially in the early stages like really getting down to the why and such i also see being able to strike the proper balance between some of the new tech today and the problems that occur. I think something that I realize is people know what they want to feel. So even if we're able to take that problem, like outside of the current context, to your point, Bruce, is there a way we could reapply this in a different industry? Because people know what they want to feel at the end of the day around that. So with that, like, what are some good ways or just basic steps that you use in order to develop these ideas into something fruitful? It's interesting because I, I think about this a lot, leaving a, a large organization of I would call them highly entrepreneurial engineers. It's an opportunity and a challenge at the same time. When you hire people, technically 
very much capable, so they can build. They're very creative because they've been exposed to them to many different industries and so on. It, ideas can somewhat turn into the wild west if they're not constrained by what we're trying to solve for and so on. And I often see these this thing. We talk about over-engineering, and but even just at the idea level, without even having thought about even starting working on it, it's like what is the core of an idea? And to me, oftentimes when I start talking about teams, what's an MVP, right? What's the minimum viable product? I, I think Miku told me the other day about the minimum lovable product, which I love and I'm, I'm going to steal with pride going forward. But that's already on the solving phase. But, and, and there is this, for our viewers who wouldn't have gathered this this far so in the episode, I'm you know originally French. And so there's this French um, writer who I very much like, he's called Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And so he is, he has this quote, he wrote this quote many decades ago, uh, centuries ago, I, I would be tempted to say, which is that perfection is not achieved when there's nothing more to add, but when there's no more to remove or so to say. And so I think the same could be applied to, to an idea. And what's the, in the context of a company like Facebook operating at the scale that we're at, we could come up with an idea and many other ideas that surround the idea that in our own perception makes the idea better and so on. But what is the, the, the core of the idea? The, the one that's going to help us identify if we're onto something. And so oftentimes I encourage my teams to think about, take that idea that is not yet fully formed, but that you think is really going to be making the difference for what it is that, that we're trying to solve. And can we try to validate this without us taking in Take, without it taking us too many cycles to validate and, and go and build and whatnot. I think the times where we've been the most successful is when we had an opportunity to validate an idea within a quarter or a half. Um, of course, your project may you know take much much longer to term to come into life, come to life, so to speak. But just identifying that idea, like what is the core of what we're trying to prove to validate, um, without really. Um, adding too many layers onto the core idea, so to speak. And to me, I love very simple ideas. I, I, there's something about simple ideas that I found brilliant. And I, in, in, in the decade that I've spent at Facebook, the project and the, the initiatives that I'm the most proud of, the ones that I know have had the greatest impact in the world between people and businesses, are found ideas that were actually really simple at the start. And so they ultimately may have evolved over time to something a little bit more complex. They may have had very technical execution, but the ideas that we're trying to solve for were, were very simple. So maybe I'm a little bit uh, old school on that one, but I love simple ideas. For me, I have so many hard learnings in terms of what do you do when you have the bug initially. First thing is that, can you fall in love with the problem as opposed to the solution, <laughs> right? Can you really obsess about the problem? Because if you obsess about the problem, then you have the flexibility to change the solution to solve the problem. But if it's the other way around, then you're going to force the solution onto the problem. Second thing is we are always in the early stages, a little bit uh, shy about validating it in the real world. We go under the umbrella of, oh, I need to build it a little bit more before it's ready for the customer or the partner. And going back to what we shared, this minimal viable, it can be scrappy, half of things don't work. But we are always nervous and we keep building it some more. And I think that's wrong because I think day zero is the best day to start in terms of getting as much feedback and validation as you can from the real world. The next one, which I did not do, hence it's a learning, is that you have to solve the hardest part of the problem first, as opposed to incrementally adding the blocks and keeping that hard one for later and then reasserting in your mind that you're actually making progress. So for me to drive by example, I had to 
twice in my career, I had to deal with building a full stack IoT. And I don't have comfort for Internet of Things or for any kind of hardware. I have a very software-driven background. So in both those scenarios, I kept putting off building that device, thinking that we could do it some other way. I was able to put everything together. I knew intuitively that I have to do it, but I didn't do it. And that just added so much to the timeline that it didn't result in success. And the last one is that this is really hard. We always hear it. It always sounds great when somebody else is going through it to learn and embrace your failures. It just sounds like one of those things which people talk about in panels, but when you personally have to go through it after investing three years or four years into something and it didn't pan out, it's very hard. But if we can harden that mindset to really learn from the failures, then I think we are setting ourselves up for the next one, which may be 10x bigger and better because you have already learned so many things on the way. There's no... None of us can actually come up with a recipe or a template because every idea, problem, solution, everything is different to each its own. But there is a mindset and that mindset can maybe just improve the odds of success. And this is along the lines of sharing some of those mindsets. Yeah, thanks, Miko. I actually love what you said about fall in love with the problem, not the solution. That is gold. And I think this can be applied to so many different avenues, right? To be honest, based on what I've seen just over you know 20 years, I think the biggest thing, guys, is allowing people and allowing organizations to make U-turns. Because what I've seen is that more often than not, in the ideation phase, something gets locked in, people think, okay, we're going to invest in this. And then you figure out, because you're on the frontier, you don't know the answer, you know the question, but, not, but you might not know the answer. And things don't work out. For for reasons, because maybe the technology doesn't work out. Maybe the, the business model was not correct. That's fine. But what I've seen is a reluctance to make U-turn. And when we don't allow ourselves to make U-turns organizationally, individually, you get stuck now with this zombie entity in a sense, just like looking for, for problems. And it just eventually will die out because reality is going to hit them. So one part of the process that, that I would love to see just as a society that we take on is it's easy to come up with ideas. I have ideas, you have ideas, we all have ideas. But we should make sure that the processes there are such that they allow U-turns to happen. Where in a week, in a month, in a quarter, for example, we spent a quarter, yeah, great. Let's come back and be like, this is actually a huge mistake. This is why. Here's actually something else I think we should have done. Let's try that instead. And there should almost be like no like inertia for that. or So that's perhaps one thing that I might add. Development, as far as like developing the ideas, I think that, like Bruce said, I think there are so many different ways you can tackle this. There's a deep tech idea, but sometimes you can just take something that, that currently exists and revisualize it for someone. Like if we're talking about something that's not deep tech, where the revisualization might make a huge difference towards having some something be low friction or not. And I know a bunch of startups who work on that, for example, where they just take existing data and they just revisualize it for you. And now patterns start to pop up and everything like that. That's of, 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 of like huge value. So I think that one thing that I've told folks in the, in the past with different organizations, I say, if you have an idea, that's great. I know you're invested in it. If you can be bothered to write one page, like one pager about it and really dig into it. And if you can't be bothered to do that, then it's probably not worth investing. In. But if you can do that and you're really like hitting me over the head with it and saying, here's something I think we should do and here's why, then I think that I, then you have my attention. So I might, that's how I might start. But the U-turn is very important. We have to have the process for U-turns. I love your U-turn point because I remember in a completely different industry, one of the most successful hedge fund managers 
probably universally his quote when he was asked why are you so successful he said i put my trade the moment i think it's wrong i take a u turn yeah. <laughs> and then double down and invest 10x in my position yeah that's right the reason i'm successful is because i'm the fastest <laughs> to do a u turn cuz you adapted yeah that's right <laughs> exactly. And, and it's right. it's funny talking about U-turns because I think to be able to make a U-turn, you need to realize that you're not going in the right direction. And, and I, I think that's also something I wanted to add here is like to take an idea and turn it into something tangible, you also need help and partners along the way that are going to help you validate the thing. And so we often talk about soundboards also, but it's almost, I have found, it's good to have this person who will poke holes in it in, in, in the most positive way, but not going to gnaw that you yeah, this is a wonderful idea. That's a great product, but also keep you one accountable about the problem, the idea you're trying to solve, but also that you're actually in the process of turning it into something. And then also have the honesty to tell you, Hey man, this is not going anywhere. Time to make a U-turn, right? Or a pivot. And, and so I think oftentimes I, I have seen that to be a creative, a creativity killer to the solitude, the fortress of solitude almost is like you and your ideas and, and being stuck on that, I, I have found to be the old ideation killer in, in, in entrepreneurship and, and building the relationships and partnerships along the way is crucial. I love it. Obsessing over the problems, picking the hardest problem to solve first, being able to maybe make that U-turn, make that tough call. You can repivot and such and revisualize. Sometimes you just need to be able to see the mountain in like a different lens and such. The conversation continues in part two, when Jess asks, Facebook start its goals, start its missions and such. How do you drive such a big vehicle in the direction of your ideas? If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review.